welcome to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast, Retirement Market Update. I'm your host for today, Victoria Panormo, and we'll be taking a look at what's been hitting the headlines in the pensions press, and then we'll have Aon's Tony Pugh and pension superstar Roger Mattingly in the hot seats to talk DC Master Trust. It's time for the news. The House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee published a report entitled Measuring Inflation on the 17th of January 2019. The report said the UK Statistics Authority should attempt to fix the flaws in the calculation of RPI and that the Chancellor should consent to this change. The committee has called on the government to stop issuing RPI-linked gilts and adopt a single general measure of inflation within five years. This would be used by the government for all purposes, and so would presumably, where scheme rules do not refer to a specific index, determine occupational pension increases. In theory, it could lead to higher pension increases in schemes that offer statutory CPI-based increases. In practice, though, the statistical authorities may be unlikely to nominate RPI for this role unless it became much more like CPI. Patient capital. The FCA recently launched a consultation to explore the impact of the regulatory regime on patient capital assets. Patient capital refers to a broad range of alternative, typically illiquid investment assets intended to deliver long-term returns. For example, infrastructure, real estate, private equity, private debt and venture capital. Following on from the 2016 Patient Capital Review, the consultation considers whether rules should be amended to make it easier to make direct investments into infrastructure projects. At the same time, the FCA is consulting on the permitted links rules and proposing changes to allow retail consumers and DC members to achieve better access to patient capital investment opportunities. Responses to the consultation paper and discussion paper can be submitted until the 28th of February. Auto-enrolment increases. Now, I know this one's in your diaries. From April, the statutory minimum DC pension contribution level will be increasing for the final time to 8% of qualifying earnings or an appropriate alternative. In our experience, many organisations have since changed the plans that were originally communicated to employees back at the time of their auto-enrolment staging date, and further communications or consultation may be needed. If changes are needed to the scheme or any pesky legacy benefit structures, whilst it's not too late to investigate options, employers will need to act quickly. For trustees, note that where changes planned by the employer require updating the scheme rules, you should look to be involved as early as possible to discuss and approve any changes following any required period of consultation with members, of course. Professional Trustee Standards Working Group, the PTSWG. Let's just call them working group, shall we? The working group have recently had an extensive consultation that had led to new standards for professional trustees being created. The main themes emerging from the consultation were general support for having standards for professional trustees, a need to distinguish clearly between the new standards for professional trustees versus those that apply to all trustees, little support for an interim comply or explain system, and a preference for straightforward accreditation system instead, and some of the operational standards that are particularly difficult for 
sole trader trustees to meet should be reconsidered to avoid these trustees leaving the market. The accreditation scheme is expected to be launched at the end of February. GMP equalisation progress update. Where would my podcasts be without an update on the GMP equalisation process? The pensions industry has moved into action on GMP equalisation. With the recent passing of the 100-day landmark since the High Court judgment on GMP equalisation, Aon held a follow-up webinar for 300 participants to track progress on the industry-wide project. Polling during the webinar showed that 75% of participants had done an estimate of the liability increase caused by GMP equalisation, but only 5% so far had a full project plan. Schemes are rightly waiting for guidance from the likes of DWP and HMRC before deciding on which method to adopt. But this shouldn't get in the way of planning and preparation. The industry needs to step up its efforts to ensure that exercises are completed in the most timely and economically fashion. If you'd like any more information on anything you've heard today, I'll include contact details at the end. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast hot seat... Roger Mattingly and Aon's Tony Pugh to talk about DC Master Trust. So I don't think I could do your introduction justice. Would you mind? Not at all, Victoria. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm Roger Mattingly. I chair the trustee board of the Aon Master Trust. Uh, been in the pensions industry now for, dare I say it, over 39 years. Uh, the last six years as a trustee. Uh, and had a bit of involvement in the industry, a past president of the Society of Pension Professionals, uh, and a bit of involvement with the likes of the PLSA uh, and a few DWP uh, working groups, etc. Crikey, how do you follow that, Tony? Um, I'll just tell you the truth. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm Tony Pugh, I've been with uh, Aon for two years now, and I'm responsible for all of Aon's DC solutions across EMEA. Um, in, in the UK, that means that I'm responsible for our investment only proposition for DC clients, uh, our bundled solution, our GPP, and of course the Aon Master Trust. Um, and it's on that, the last one there, that I'm a scheme strategist, and I've been spending a vast amount of time recently with our authorization application. I'm sure our listeners are familiar with DC Master Trust, and before we get on to talking about the authorization process, process I know that's very close to both of your hearts, um, <laughs> Could you just give me a high level who, what, why, where, when on uh, DC Master Trust? Yeah, I'll, I'll happily take that one first, Victoria. Um, who? <laughs> over 200,000 employers uh, have moved into Master Trust now, albeit um, many of them micro-employers, given the auto-enrolment regulations. So there is a vast array of organisations using Master Trust to meet their needs. Yeah, I'm just adding to that. I think there are there are over ninety uh, master trusts that are needing to to be authorised um, or not, as the case may be. Um, and uh, as we'll come on to, um, a huge amount of effort has gone into these uh, authorisations, um, and uh, there's no doubt that they need to be sifted into those that are fit for purpose in today's governance uh, and regulatory environment, and those that no need to be wound up and, and or absorbed. And why DC Master Trust? Well, there are over 33,000 separate DC arrangements, all shapes and sizes, from the very small to the, uh, the very large in some cases, 
and the, there is no doubt there is government will and regulatory will to, to consolidate. It sort of leads into how many do we think there'll be in the market. Um, I think first of all, just think about three main categories of master trust. You've got the auto-enrolment vehicles, the likes of Nest, um, uh, appealing to the, the, the mass market. You've got some sector-based master trusts, um, some of which may have been um, caught by surprise about the requirements become authorised. And then you've got the commercial master trusts like the Aon Master Trust. And they're, they're all looking at uh, different parts of the market predominantly. Um, and I think where we go is what will be uh, the, the, the medium-term view of how many will be left in the market. And um, looking at my crystal ball, I suspect there'll be between 10 and 20 uh, master trusts uh, within a few years' time. So in five years' time... 2024 got a smaller number of master trusts in the market what does that mean in terms of product innovation do you think i think the concentration will allow more innovation mm. because um, having between 10 and 20 master trusts uh, all, all, all with scale um, facilitates the ongoing and future investments uh, in, into the solutions um, and we see that already with our own roadmap runs three years out so we've got innovations planned this year next year and the year after um, and scale facilitates that. And so I've no, no doubt whatsoever that the concentration of the market, to take Roger's point, to a reasonable number of ongoing players will actually assist with innovation because they've got scale to invest. Yeah, again, I totally agree. I think the demand, because of the volume of members, uh, the demand will be there for, for the innovation, for the, the technological innovation, for the product innovation, and the clout will be there, so the clout to efficiently and economically put uh, those developments in place uh, will be there rather than individual um, entities, individual schemes having to try and uh, go their own route. Um, it's also a very competitive market, it is now. There's a, there's a huge amount of assets expected to move into master trust, something in the region of 300 billion by the mid-2020s in total, sitting in master trust. Um, so that, again, it helps give um, the Master Trust providers the, the assurance that it's worth investing in this market. I think it would be good at this point if you could touch on the authorisation process itself and, and how much is really involved. I'll start off with them, Roger. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll chip in, no doubt. But uh, So we started the process um, as soon as we knew what was required. Uh, we submitted a, a readiness review a document into the regulator back in June uh, of last year and, and since then uh, since getting their feedback we've been um, updating and producing documents that are required for the authorization process. Now that sounds like that should be pretty easy. There are literally hundreds of questions um, to, to respond to but actually on reflection I think the process has been, has been pretty good. The, the, the regulator has thought long and hard about things that will protect the member and best serve the interests of, of, of the market. Um, and so going through that process, when well, you know you've got a well-run master trust, but producing the evidence to show that has been uh, a, a relatively fruitful process to go through. Yeah, again, I, I agree, which is becoming a common theme, but I do totally uh, agree with Tony. Um, it's one of these um, challenges that you can either treat, treat as a hassle and a threat, or you can embrace it. And I think there was a... a split second moment in time fairly very early on actually that we uh, collectively decided to embrace it so let's get that crystal ball out 
again. And in five years' time, we've seen this big shift in the industry. It's consolidated down to 15, 20 names, but we've got £300 billion backing the, the master trust market. What, what does this mean for employers and members in the pension industry? Well, I think from a member point of view, there's no doubt in my mind that their peace of mind uh, level will increase uh, dramatically. Um, obviously, there are a lot of scares in the in the pensions industry. There's no doubt in my mind that the market, uh, the, um, the master trust market, will be uh, very secure and very protected as far as members are concerned. It will have very regular and frequent regulatory oversight. And it will be uh, governed by those who have been uh, deemed fit for purpose and will have to carry on being deemed fit for purpose. It's not just a one-off snapshot. It's a pretty good summary, Roger. Um, I look at it from the, the company point of view as well, as the, having spoken to a large number of companies that have moved to Master Trust and their reasoning. And as one of the uh, large financial institutions said to me a few years back, is that we're very good at what we do. Um, but we don't run pension schemes as a business, so why would we run our members' pension schemes? So that's why they started looking towards a master trust solution, recognising that by, by moving into that environment, you've got care and attention being paid to the master trust plan day in, day out by professional trustees, and that's what they're there to do. So I think from a corporate point of view, there's, there's plenty of advantages where they maybe are resource constrained, etc., etc. Moving their members to a master trust can serve big company benefit and enhance employee member um, benefits as well. Um, and then going back to, to the members, and I think where they, where they really benefit, um, good investment opportunity, good services, but continued innovation. So master trusts that, that are here now today, um, they're, they're, they're certainly fit for purpose. But the world is going to move on. So it's really important that we learn about member behaviours, um, we're able to adapt solutions to that. So I think members will benefit from joining a master trust by a, a, a solution that continues to meet their evolving needs. I think that's really important because none of us really know what member needs are going to be in 10 years' time, what state benefits are going to be, etc., etc. Very fully imagined that wider savings will be sitting alongside uh, pension provision as well. So expect Master Trust to, to go into that world and provide holistic, long-term saving solutions for members. And that's where we expect to get. So I'll give an example, which is the, the AL Master Trust when it comes to innovation and proposition developments. And this year, our members are going to see substantive change. They'll see um, new revamped websites, um, behavioural learning nudges to help members um, make actions and take actions that they, we think are good for them. Um, we'll also have a, a new um, retirement modeler, so when members are in decumulation, they can model scenarios and see the effect of different levels of income. So those, those are just a few of the things, we'll personalise video statements, but that's just this year, and I think this is for every master trust, it's really important to do this. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast with me, Victoria Panormo, and my guests, Roger Mattingly and Tony Pugh. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, you can contact me on victoria.panormo at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website 
or email talktous at aon.com.